You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, it's on page 1255 in the Megillah. Haman comes to plead his case before Achashverus, which isn't really much of a negotiation. He doesn't really have to. He just uh, basically flashes the cash and uh, Achashverus says, you can have what you want. But we understand that Haman is coming with an argument to Achashverus. And he begins with an interesting string of words. Yeshno am echad. There is a certain people. There is one nation. Mefuzar umeforad amim, which is spread out and dispersed amongst the nations throughout all the lands. And their laws are different than every other people. They don't keep your laws, right? They take off for these three-day holidays and for this and then another time for drinking and another time for lighting candles and for some reason they have to light the candles exactly between four and five o'clock. Like they've got all kinds of, they don't follow the laws of the king. Uh, there was no Hanukkah in the days of Haman, just in case anyone calls me out on it. The Medrash is struggling with the word Yeshno. Yesh, no. Because in Hebrew, the yesh is just as uh, good. Yesh amechad, there is. Yesh, no, is a fancy way of saying there is. Why use that word? So, William Buckley. What? William Buckley, the great orator, purposely used longer words to impress people with his... Right, so that that's a fair explanation. Haman is trying to sound like um, a uh, educated, uh, right? Especially since he he didn't quite come from the uh, best of places. But the Gemara says that it actually is related to the word for yashan for sleeping, or yashan for old age, really, meaning um, like aged. And so, yeah, that the Jewish people were yashnum and mitzvahs, that they've sort of um, just dwindled and uh, petered out in terms of their observance of the commandments. And therefore, he begins with, don't worry about the Jewish people, their God isn't going to protect them there. That's the Gemara. The Medrash, though, in Medrash Rabbah, Megillus Esther, says something that's quite striking in terms of when we see it, how we react to it. The language of the Midrash is Yeshno Am Echad, Oso Shenamar Bo Hashem Echad. Who is Echad? Echad Miyudea, Echad So the Echad. Yashanlo Me'amo has gone to sleep from being with his people. Yeshno Am Echad means, says the Madrash, again, if, if this seems out of difficult to even say, that's exactly the problem here. Um, but he's gone to sleep. God is, God is on a, um, a long vacation from the Jewish people, and he's actually gone to sleep from being with the Jewish people. Now, 
we get that the word yeshno is extra. But to go to this place where um, to read this into the verse is difficult. The Kedusha Slevi, or Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, actually phrases this question in a different way. He says, the Megillah is supposed to reflect the story that happened, and therefore the Megillah needs to tell us what Haman said. But since the Megillah is eternal and it's a holy writing, it, it should only, it should never, in other words, the Megillah itself should allow for a reading which has some element of truth in it. So when we talk about the Jewish people are dispersed, so yeah, they're dispersed, that's true. Their laws, they don't keep the laws of the king. So it's true they don't keep the laws of the king. But why would the Megillah quote such a, a, a falsity such a ridiculous suggestion by Haman that God has gone to sleep. There must be some element where that can be interpreted in reality in order for it to be legitimate or valid enough that the Megillah should quote it. An interesting perspective. And, and so therefore the Kedushas Levi would read this throughout the Torah. Anytime someone says something that's completely ridiculous, the Torah would never quote it because you can't have something that's a complete falsity in a work which is the essence of truth. Could it have anything to do with the fact that they thought that the time had come and passed for the rebuilding of the Besamikdasha, so they assumed that Hashem had abandoned? Right, so interesting, because abandoned we would be okay with. Uh, in other words, if Haman said abandoned, because on some level Hashem had abandoned the Jewish people. but. So, so we, we have to figure out what would the metaphor of sleep be? I mean, that's the direction we're going to have to go. What would it mean in order for it to have some element of truth, in order for Haman, even though he in his mind, he's speaking in the literal sense, because he's a, a pagan in, in, in some senses of that word. So he's a pagan, gods go to sleep. You know, they, they bathe their gods. So um, they, they, they can put their gods to sleep and sing them bedtime songs and read them bedtime stories. They wouldn't have a problem with that. But we want that, because it's an hour saver, we want to understand the, the, uh, the, the element of truth which was driving the words of Haman. How does Am fit in here? Well, he's saying um, from his nation. Yashan lo me'amo. So, so Yashan, Yeshno Am is like he is sleeping from his nation, Echad, the one who is Echad, Hashem Echad. Are we allowed to ignore the Bashan between Am and Echad? In Medrash, yes. Because it doesn't appear in the Megillah itself. So it would be more of a, you know, the Megillah, in, in Medrash will certainly be allowed to ignore Tamim and the Kudot and things like that. Okay. So, the Kedushas Levi is now going to introduce us into a few important philosophical concepts, which is hopefully going to open for us a new perspective that we haven't looked at yet, unless you've seen the Kedushas Levi on this, a new perspective on the power of the Yom Tov of Purim. So he says like this, an interesting Gemara in Sota. 
The Gemara is dealing with the prohibition of arrogance, of haughtiness. And we know that arrogance, haughtiness, is an exceptionally bad trait. Humility, by, by definition then, is going to be an exceptionally good trait. In fact, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the greatest Navi of all time, and uh, um, the greatest of all people, was most outstanding in the area of humility. However, the Gemara says, and this is the language of the Gemara, Bishamta man de isbe, u bishamta man de lesbe. Excommunicated should be anyone who has arrogance, and excommunicated should be anyone who doesn't have arrogance. Says the Gemara, well, which one is it? Says the Gemara, that you have to have a small amount of arrogance. You have to have a small amount of pride and of haughtiness. Anything more than that, and you should be excommunicated. Anything less than that, you should be excommunicated. Says the Gemara, well then how much? So you ready? Because this is going to be a very simple answer. Says the Gemara, an eighth of an eighth. An eighth of an eighth. Of what? Of what? Right. An eighth of an eighth. So, I mean, uh, right? you, you need, you need, are we liters, gallons, pounds, kilometers? What, what are we measuring it? Right? So, he explains as follows. By the way, there's a, a beautiful comment, comment from the Maharsha. The Maharsha, what's the word for haughtiness? In the gava, right? What's another word for haughtiness? The word that we use is gas. Gas means like we talk about a, you know, um, something which is uh, blown up. Yeah, what's the right word for blown up? Uh, something which is over, overinflated. So something which is inflated is called gas. Is it Yiddish? No, it's a, a, a Hebrew word. Um, right? That's why that's what we call large animals a behemoth gasa. Right? So uh, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But says the Marsha, because the word gas is Gimel Samach, which whose numerical value is sixty-three. An eighth of an eighth is a sixty-fourth. So it means you have to have enough haughtiness that you are still within the one sixty-fourth, but once you're in one sixty-third, you've now entered into gas and you are now um, overinflated. Which is a very clever play on words on the concept of but and uh, there's a famous explanation from the Vilnagon who says an eighth of an eighth, again it's Shmini Shibishminis, an eighth of an eighth. So says the Vilnagon, what's the eighth parsha in the Torah? Bereshis, Noach, Lachlacha, Vayera, Chaisara, Toldos, Vayetze, Vayishlach. What's the eighth Pasuk in Parshas Vayishlach? Kat- right, there we go. Katonti That means that Yaakov Avinu knew that he had done great things in his life, but he never felt like he was entitled to anything as a result of it. So therefore, says the Vilna Gain, if you look in the 8th parish and the 8th Pasuk, there is the clue to how you're supposed to balance it. You're supposed to be aware of your greatness and your accomplishments, but you're not supposed to make it think that you're entitled to anything as a result of it. And again, that's a brilliant explanation for what an eighth of an eighth means, but the Kedusha Slave is going to offer a different explanation. And here's what he says. 
One of the most important philosophical questions ever asked, ever, and you've heard lectures on this, and you've heard, without question, you've heard, why did God create the world? For what purpose? So, the answer is going to be the same, but everyone's going to have a different way of saying it. So, if I would ask you, what are the different answers that you heard? Uh, why did God create the world? What was the point? What was God missing? So, you'll hear... What? So that we can serve him. So that we can serve him. Right? That's, that's, uh, so that he can be the king over us. So that God can do good for us. Right? These are all basically the same idea. That God created the world so that um, there can be what was previously non-existent, which was a relationship between the creator and his creations, so whether it's for God to be the king and us to be his people, for us to um, you know, perform his mitzvahs and to earn rewards so that God can do good things for us, they're all basically a similar idea, although they might be inversions of each other, but they're all agreeing that God creates the world so that there can be this system where we can be his servants and serve him, and then God can in turn um, reward us with the good. Why do you say that? Why do you say that? Why is that placing too much importance on us? Because in every phrase you talk about us. <laughs> well, we, we, the question is why we were created. So the answer is going to have to have us in the answer. Right? So, and we certainly don't want to say because Hashem needed anything. Right? So the answer is because Hashem wants to reward us. Hashem wants to do good for us. It, the question is why he created us. The answer has to have the word us in it. But being good to us, rewarding us, I feel, emphasizes us. That's only how you look at it. But again, using the word us isn't going to be a problem. It's if you say that Hashem needed us. or But if, if Hashem is creating the world because he wants us, then to say that using the word us is giving us too much credit is a question on Hashem on why he credited us enough to create us for the sake of doing good for us. But so, there's a purpose for which we created it, and that purpose, his will... Uh, yeah, but you, now you're just bringing it back to the question. Because the question was, what did Hashem want? Now, if you're asking, well, why would Hashem want to do that? That's the next... But the, the question was, what was the purpose of creating us? And the answer is for us to be his loyal servants to fulfill his will. The Kedusha Slavi, throughout his Sefer, adds a nuance to this. He says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu receives Kaviyach, I'm going to say the words, I have no idea what this means, none of us could ever know what this means, but that's what we're told that Hashem gets a tanug. Hashem takes pleasure in the interactions with us. Meaning that when Hashem gives His will and His instruction, and we fulfill it, we bring pleasure to Hashem. Now you'll say, well that sounds really bad, well who gives you the right to say that? It's a pasuk. Because it says in Tehillim, Yehi chavod Hashem la'olam, the honor of Hashem should be forever. What? 
Yismach Hashem b'ma'asav. Says the Kedushas Levi, Yismach Hashem b'ma'asav. Now we don't know what it means. It's a metaphor. Of course it's a metaphor. If you're taking it literally, you're misunderstanding it. But nevertheless, the words are there in the Pasik through prophecy that Hashem gave to David HaMelech, Yismach Hashem b'ma'asav, that Hashem takes joy in His service, which is an incredible thing. Because we are, excuse, uh, present company excluded, we're basically worthless, feeble creatures who have no right to give Hashem anything, for Hashem to treat anything that we do as something which Hashem takes pleasure in. We're nothing, nevertheless. Nevertheless. How could we, isn't that Lashon Hara? When you say that we are nothing, Hashem created us. Yeah, that's true, but... but yeah, but what have I done to make... I mean, I, well, we are. We are. But the answer is that no, Hashem created us, but the question is the question. The question is, me, bring Hashem joy, what am I going to do? Stand up comedy? Make Hashem laugh? It doesn't, there's no such thing. No such thing. Hashem is infinite. So what? I'm going to do an act of kindness and Hashem is going to receive pleasure from that? That's, that, that's a problem. And the answer is that you may not understand it. And we might not be able to understand it. But Hashem says, this is what I want. And if this is what Hashem wants, then that's what Hashem wants. And Kaviyachal, in this high realm, we are fulfilling the will of Hashem and bringing Hashem joy. So there's a famous passing that says, Sos Asis Hashem. I shall truly rejoice in Hashem. So there's a famous translation from the Market of Mezrich, which is um, um, that sos asis Hashem, meaning I will rejoice. Uh, uh, the Kedushas Levi reads it. Um, sos asis Hashem, I will rejoice that I bring Hashem joy. Because when you realize that despite the fact that we are physical, lowly beings. And yet Hashem empowered me, gave me the ability to serve Him, to connect with Him, to fulfill His will. There is no greater joy than knowing that your purpose is a purpose of satisfying and bringing joy to the infinite. So, person would say, well, that guy, he's a big tzaddik. He davens Shimon Esrei for 10 minutes. He studies 15 hours a day. He eats, and I hear him bench. He's the guy who we're talking about that Hashem wants to hear and wants, wants to hear his davening and wants to see his mitzvahs. But me? My davening? There's no way Hashem wants my davening. There's no way Hashem wants my learning. This is one of the most powerful Yetzir horrors in the world. To tell you that since we're here to fulfill God's will, that's for big tzaddikim. But for someone like me? So says the Kedushas Levi. That's where all of a sudden you get a Yetzir Hara for humility. So he says, that's the danger. We like to give up on ourselves. Yeah, listen, maybe when I started at potential, but by the, by the age I am now, based on all the things I've done, you know what, I'm just better off enjoying this world. That is a classic Yetzirah argument. 
he says, Kedishas Levi, that is humility which borders on heresy. Because you don't believe in the purpose of creation, that God created all humanity, all physicality, for the purpose of fulfilling His will. And when you step out of your obligation, because you believe yourself to be undeserving and you're not on that level, then it's humility in the realm of heresy. And that's where, that's where you need to have a little haughtiness and a little pride and say, on the contrary, I'm a good person. I do good things. In fact, when I do good things, when I daven, I'm a good daven. That's when you're supposed to say that. Now, he says, in Sphiris Omer, you know how in Sphiris Omer we count the seven times seven, Chesed, Gevurah, Teferis, Netzachot, Yisod, Malchus. What are those seven? The seven Midos, seven attributes. What's above the seven attributes? What's right above the seven attributes? The realm of Bina. Bina is where it's become an understanding or a feeling. He says the place of Bina is the place where joy emanates from. So he says, God has his divine sephiros, of which... The eighth from the bottom is the place of joy. And you can climb up to the place of joy. And you have within you the attribute of Bina, which is working your way all the way up to the eighth. So he says, the arrogance needs to be an eighth of an eighth. Meaning that you should realize that that your greatest joy... That's where you need to have arrogance, which is the joy and the pride in your observance of mitzvahs. Knowing that your eighth is in Hashem's eighth, where Hashem takes joy and pride in your performance of mitzvahs. So in terms of your true value and how you interact with other people, all those other areas, there you need to be humble. But... When you talk about your value vis-a-vis Hashem in terms of your ability to um, bring joy and to fulfill God's will, which is the eighth, that's the place where you need to have pride and haughtiness and you should rejoice and feel pride within yourself that you are able to come to this place. That's why the Gemara says, cursed is the one who doesn't have it. Because if you don't have this, you give up on yourself. So you're basically, you're excommunicated, meaning you're taking yourself out of the fold. But cursed is one who has too much arrogance because then you don't serve God. Says Ignatius Levy that this might be the most inspiring thought. This idea might be the most inspiring thought in the world in terms when it comes to fulfilling mitzvahs. Think of this. You're going to Enter Shabbos. We enter Shabbos like it's a burden. We enter Shabbos like, oh, better get this done, better get that done. How about entering Shabbos, says the Kedusha Slavi, thinking, Hashem needs me now. Hashem needs me to fulfill Shabbos. And so I am about to fulfill the purpose of all creation. Every time you go to Davin, 
every time you go to learn. It's not, so, oh, I got to do this. The whole creation, the whole purpose of creation, this is the idea of Bishvilini Ha'olam, means that right now, what I'm doing now, validates and gives purpose to the entire creation. Should we really use the word needs me? How about wants me to? Yeah. I, wants me to do this. W- Rather than needs me, it sounds like Hashem has. Well, when we say yeah, you're right, we, we we have to know what we mean by need here. When it's need, like like Hashem, Hashem needs me to do this, not needs, but but I've got to be the one to do it because the create. I'm part of that purpose of creation, and essentially, if if I don't do this Shabbos, then Hashem isn't going to have His will fulfilled. So in order for Hashem to be His will to be fulfilled, I need to do this. So in a certain sense, yeah, Hashem need, and that's the point is we're building this up so that when you go to do a mitzvah, you're in, it's no it's not a burden. It's the most exciting thing ever. You get to fulfill the purpose of creation. Not only that, he says, but. There's something that comes as a result of that. When we fulfill the purpose of creation, when we fulfill the will of Hashem, this is the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, what's the reward? Hashem fulfills our will. This is why he says, a tzaddik is able to change a decree in heaven. Because his he, his whole life, is about fulfilling the will of God. And it's measure, to, uh, measure, meter, connected meter, measure for measure. If you fulfill, make your will to be the will of God, then God will make His will to be your will. So if you approach Shabbos and say, Hashem, I want to fulfill your will, and you really approach Shabbos like that, then when, when you say to Hashem, okay, I'd love to do it, but I need this and this and this for Shabbos, then Hashem's will becomes your will, and now he's going to want to give you all these things. Maybe in a small sense to answer Charlene's question, if you come, perhaps, if you come to Shabbos with that intention of fulfilling Hashem's will, with Shabbos, with the way you make Shabbos with joy, it might be contagious to other people, and it might... You know, well, she, I think she was more focused on the word for need. But here we're just talking about we're just talking about yourself because we're talking about the arrogance and the pride you have to have. We're saying that when you when you make your life about this particular point, which is that I'm here, I was put into this world to fulfill whatever will Hashem intended in the creation of the world, and I'm going to do it. When you think that then Hashem is going to make whatever you want should happen. Hashem is going to make that His will. So He says a beautiful explanation. You say this all the time. We say, we're commanded to say this twice a day. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad. So He says, if you look at all of Sefer Devarim, basically, it always says Elokeichem. Throughout Sefer Devarim, it's always Moshe speaking to the Jewish people and saying, Hashem Elokeichem, Hirba'aschem Elokeichem, Elokeichem. All of a sudden, by Shema Yisrael, Moshe changes the term and it becomes Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu. So he says, because Moshe is trying to make a point, the name Yudke Vavke 
has no prefixes or suffixes that really change the meaning of the word. In other words, you can have La Hashem or May Hashem, but not where it becomes part of the word. It's almost like it's a separate word, it's just towards, from. But the name Elohim has Elohim, Elokeinu, Elokechem. It's God of. You, God of them, my God, Elokai. So when that, what, what's the difference? Because the name Yud Kevavke is a sort of beyond time and space. But Elohim is the name of God as He runs the world, and there's a concept of Elokeinu or Elokechem, where God runs the world on my agenda. When we say um, that God Elokechem towards the Jewish people, what Moshe is saying to the Jewish people, and that's what he wants to stress, Elokeinu. Meaning, I'm not just saying Elokechem as in the God that you believe in, but Elokeinu, the God who runs the world according to the way that we will it. Now the problem is, as Rashi explains, right now it's Hashem Elokeinu, only our God. But in the future, what will happen? Bayomahu, Ye Hashem Echad, and that day Hashem's name will be Hashem will be one, his name will be one. So Rashi learns Shemai Yisrael, right now it's Hashem Alakenu, but in the future it'll be Hashem Echad. Now what does that mean in the future will be Hashem Echad? Because right now the world doesn't recognize that Hashem runs the world according to the Jewish people, that the Jewish people are, are really fulfilling more than anyone else the purpose of creation. But the day will come when Hashem Elokeinu, the fact that Hashem is Elokeinu, that Hashem runs the world according to those who fulfill His Torah and fulfill His will, Hashem Echad, that will be one God that the whole world will recognize that we, the Jewish people, are fulfilling the purpose of creation by, by keeping the Torah in the mitzvahs. There is a Pasuk. It says, Laman Achai V'Reyai because of my brothers and friends, I will speak. Now we sing that song all the time. And we sing that song thinking that we're singing a song about unity of the Jewish people. Except if you look in the Pasuk, you'll see that that Pasuk is not from one Jew speaking to another. It's God speaking to the Jewish people. Next time you sing that song, it should have a totally new meaning. Laman achai because of my brothers and my friends, is God referring to the Jewish people as my brothers and my friends? Because when we do the will of God, and God fulfills our will, on some level, on some level, we are at level with Hashem, as if we could speak like this. There's some kind of relationship. You know, we talk about Hashem and the Jewish people like husband and wife as described in Shir Hashirim. Right? But before you get to that point of Achosi, um, Rayasi, um, you have my sister, Rayasi, my, my, my friend, that's Hashem speaking to the Jewish people, Achosi, Rayasi, and then it gets even higher with Yonasi, Samasi, my perfect dove. But Hashem interacts with the Jewish people as Achai Verei, my brothers and my friends. When 
This concept of Hashem reacting to our will is dormant. And I use the word dormant on purpose. That means that Hashem is there, but isn't responding. Isn't responding. That, says the Kedushas Levi, is a metaphor for sleep. The person is there. All of the person is there. But you can't communicate with that person. That person is not responsive because they've turned away. Specifically, in terms of being able to connect to me. So therefore, we find that, that David says, Ura, lama sishan Hashem, awaken God, why do you sleep? What he means is, we had a relationship, we had a communication, and you, Hashem, as if we could say these words, have drifted off. This happens. This happens when we, the Jewish people, specifically, go against the will of God. Mordechai comes to the Jewish people and says, God does not want you to go to the party of Ahasuerus. You've got all kinds of explanations and political reasons and justifications and you've got all the best hechsherim and you've got all kinds of things, but God does not want you to go to this party. And they sort of took charge and said, well, we're going to do what we need to do, going against the will of God. This brought down a decree, according to one explanation, and he's going with that one. This brought down a decree upon the Jewish people where God was no longer going to respond to the will of the Jewish people. Mordechai and Esther, their purpose throughout the Megillah, all the fasting and all the things they're doing, is to bring back the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people, where we are looking and seeking to fulfill the will of God, and God responds by looking and seeking to fulfill our will. Everyone knows the Midrash that says um, that whenever it says HaMelech in the Megillah, it's referring to God, unless it says HaMelech HaChashverosh. So I could challenge you in different places to go through the Megillah, and try to explain that verse as speaking about Hashem. And some of them you'll have an easy time, some of them are pretty hard. You know, for example, the king taking off his ring and giving it to Haman. That's Hashem approving with the signet seal in heaven that there should be a decree against the Jewish people. That's easy. There was one such statement, which up until five minutes ago should have been difficult, but now should be pretty simple. On that night, the king's sleep was disturbed. It's in the Megillah. It's right there. That means, on that night, with all the things that the Jewish people were doing, Hashem could no longer look away from the Jewish people. Hashem had to respond to the Jewish people. That's why this, this we say, some people say that with a loud voice, that's where everything changes. That's the turning point in the Megillah, is up until that passage, Hashem has His face turned away. As it says in the Torah, 
on that day, Anochi Haster Aster Panai Bayom Hahu. Hashem will turn his face away. When does Hashem turn his face back? Balayla Hahu on that night, the king's sleep was disturbed. At this point, we got our power back. We got our power to come before the king and ask that we want, we want that the decree should be annulled. And because we are fulfilling the will of Hashem, Hashem will fulfill our will. Now, hear me out, because now we have to stretch our minds a little bit. Do we deserve all these things? Do we deserve that Hashem should fulfill our will? Not really, right? I mean, meaning like this. Um, Hashem gave us the mitzvahs and we fulfill His will. Are we actually doing something for Hashem? Not in the most... Who gave us the tools? Who gave us the instruments? Who gave us the ability to fulfill the mitzvahs? As the as the tells us, meaning a person is doing this great mitzvah and putting up a mezuzah. Who gave you a house? Who gave you hands to put up the mezuzah? But yet, you get rewarded as if you did something for Hashem. You give tzedakah, you get reward. Who gave you the money? Hashem gave you the money. Hashem gave you all the money you have. You give a little bit away. And Hashem goes, wow, that's amazing. You gave 10% away. You're going to get tzachah. We can't imagine the reward for tzedakah. For every word of Torah, the reward that we get is incredible. Who gave us the mouth? Who gave us the books? Who gave us the Torah? Who gave us the brain? Thank you. You know what it is? It's a gift. It's all a gift. The greatest gift is that Hashem allows us, through our mitzvahs, to be fulfilling His will, and then He acts as if we are somehow doing something we deserve, and then rewards us for it by giving us the power. The fact that Hashem gave us power over Hashem to nullify His decrees, says the Kedusha Slevi, is the greatest gift that Hashem has ever given us. Meaning Hashem decreed that the Jewish people should be killed. Right? This was up in heaven, they made this decree. Come along, Mordechai and Esther, and they make, they come before the king, and they say, we want to change it. Hashem says, oh, they are fulfilling my will, I got to fulfill their will, and we're going to undo it. That power is not something we deserve, it's completely a gift granted from God. So do we deserve anything? No. But this, he says, is the greatest. Because all the things Hashem gives us, that's the system he set up. But when we start taking Hashem's power and telling Hashem what to do, he says, that's, that's truly the greatest gift. That's what he says. So now listen to this. But there's got to be a little bit of merit that entitles you to some things when you do it right. Because you always have the temptation to do it wrong. No, you're right. You're right. And that's the system of reward and punishment. But for us to come back and intercede against God's system of reward and punishment and say, well, yeah, we did this wrong thing, but our will is that we should be saved. And God says, okay, because you asked me, I'll give it to you. So that's something they don't deserve. And that, that's the gift.
Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, th- but that's, that's a whole separate issue in terms of how we translate back into the decree from heaven. But in the end, they were saved. So the decree was undone. Well, I, I, we, we might even answer your question soon. Okay, so he says, he says, Hashem is known as Ish. Hashem, Ish, Milchama. Who is Hashem's friend? We. Umishloach Manos, Ish Lereyehu, is a sharing of His power to us. An incredible pshat. Especially, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to fit this in because I'm running short on time, but we know that we, we, we run around giving people foods, all different kinds of foods. The real, primary way of fulfilling Mishloach Manos is to share of your meal with another. Which is why, if you are making a Purim meal, find someone who either needs a meal, or, if you're preparing a meal, take over a piece of chal and a piece of chicken, or whatever it is that you're having from your meal, and share it with one other person as the true fulfillment of Mishlach Manas Yishroyehu, and then you can send uh, jelly bellies to everyone in the world besides that. But, but the main mitzvah is manos, a mana is a portion. You, you send a portion to someone else, some say through a messenger specifically, but the idea is, he says, that Mishloach Manos Ishlerayehu is really referring to Hashem giving us the power, giving us access to His power, sharing with us the decisions as to how the world should run. Now I'm going to take this a little deeper, a little deeper. We know that the brain that you have is given to you by Hashem. Your ability to fear Hashem is given to you by Hashem. And the inspirations that you experience in life, things that happen to you are also arranged by Hashem. So even though free will is yours, but in the end, Hashem kind of runs the world besides that. So he says, tells us this, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say this, we wouldn't know this, but the Kedusha Levi was a great Mekubal, so he knows this. He says that when a good decree goes out into the world... It's publicized, and it it could be seen in any of the realms of creation, when a good thing is about to come. When a bad thing is about to come, he says, it's really supposed to be kept from the tzaddikim. It's supposed to be kept from the tzaddikim, because they have power to undo things. So Hashem kind of hides it. That's why you hear stories of rabbis who are trying to daven, and they feel like the gates of heaven are closed. It's because something bad is about to happen, and they don't have access. But he explains this based on a medrash, based on a mashal given by the Magad of Mezrich. The Magad of Mezrich said that sometimes um, teachers will do this and parents will do this too. When they want a child to feel success in their studies, so they'll have a question and they want the child to give the right answer, but the child doesn't know the right answer. So what do I do? I teach the child everything except the answer. I start talking to them and conversing with them. I give them almost all the pieces besides for the answer. And then the kid goes, well, well, if that's the case, then what about this? And we go, oh, that's amazing. That's a brilliant answer. And then the kid is so proud of himself. He feels like, now I knew the answer. And I knew I was leading. Now, did he give, did he choose to give the right answer or did I lead him to it? Well, he came up with it. I just put the parts in front of him. So says the Gdishas Levi, you should know. 
That when a terrible thing is about to happen in the world, Hashem can't tell the righteous to come and intercede, but He kind of sets up all the world in a way where the righteous know exactly what it is that they need to do. He says, that's an even greater gift. Because not only, not only is Hashem, not only is Hashem giving us the power to tell Him what to do, but He's even telling us that now would be a good time to tell me what to do. What a gift. This this is what he says. I I you know the source for this, how he gets the he, he So give give me an example of something where he he's done that, where he tells us the time this would be a good time for you to do Well that that would be different stories throughout the ages when the people felt like there was a they could feel something that there was something wrong, or they could piece together puzzles and clues of something that was about to happen. That was, um, yeah, I don't know if he, he, I don't, he doesn't use an example. That's why he, he said just, I'm just going with him here. So he says, umishloach manos. It's plural. That's why we give two things, because it's actually two different gifts that Hashem has given us. So you hear, when you give your two, according to Kedusha Slavi, this is what you're supposed to think. When I give you my two foods, I'm sharing it with you. I am commemorating Hashem giving us insider information to allow us to know that we're about to be annihilated and to step up and to know how to do it in order to save the Jewish people. The power of Purim. When there was a Beis HaMikdash, when there was a Beis Amikdash, it was kind of obvious when these things were happening. The rain would fall when we were good, the rain would stop when we were bad. But in Golos, in exile, that Hashem still allows us, even though we've been sent far away, that He still allows us to control what happens in heaven and what happens in this world, that is the Mishloach Manus Ish that Hashem gives us. So He says an interesting thing. Why is it that Matanus Lavyonim you're supposed to give one gift to one poor person and then another gift to another poor person. Matanos le'evyonim. Two gifts to two people, meaning one gift per, per poor man. But mishloach manos ish le'reyehu is two gifts to one person. So I'm going to try to say this very quickly even though I'm almost out of time. There's a very difficult Gemara in Ksuvas. The Gemara says that greater is the handiwork of the righteous than the handiwork of God. Already a difficult statement. Why? Because the handiwork of God, when God created the world, you know what God used? Af yadi yazda ha'aretz. My hand founded the earth. But when it comes to the actions of the righteous, meaning when the tzaddikim built the Beis HaMikdash, it says, Machon Hashem, Mikdash Hashem konenu yadecha. That when we build something, Hashem, so to speak, puts two hands on it. When Hashem creates the world, He puts one hand in, into it. When Hashem, when we build the base of Mikdash, Hashem puts both hands on it. What does that mean? So He says, when an inspiration for love comes from Hashem to us, when Hashem is inspired to create the world for any purpose, no one has any reason to argue with Hashem. No one can argue with Hashem. So only one hand is necessary. What's the right hand? Chesed, kindness. 
But when we come to Hashem, and we say to Hashem, you know, we would like this. We'd like to build a base of Mikdash. We would like some Parnasa. We would like salvation. We want some safety. We want some security. When we come and we ask for these things, when we ask for it, what happens? Hashem wants to give it to us, but there's a Midas Adin. There's an attribute of judgment that says, well, what about when the Jewish people did this? The Jewish people. So when we come and we ask and we make our requests, at that point there is a response. So Hashem needs to use what Midas to subdue? The attribute of judgment. The attribute of justice. To punish our enemies, to hold back those who would do evil to us, to silence the, pro- the prosecutors. That's the left hand. So when Hashem does something, only one hand is necessary. When we want to request something, when we want to ask for something, it's both the same thing. Hashem is doing both the giving and the punishing. Hashem is doing both for our sake. But the inspiration is two separate inspirations. So therefore, umishloach manos ish l'reyehu, and this should be your kavana on Purim, mishloach manos ish l'reyehu, means that we are doing it to, to two different gifts to one, because the goal is one. The goal is ish l'reyehu, for us to cre- connect to Hashem, as laman achai v'reyai, to become best friends with Hashem. Ish l'reyehu, that's the relationship which we end up with. But that happens through both hands, each one giving one gift, because in order for that to happen, Hashem has to both give to us and also send out punishment and hold back the attributes of judgment. So that might go back to what you were saying before, is that we couldn't undo the attribute of judgment. There's going to be a war, there's going to be a fight, and people are going to die from that side. So that, that represents the two hands that are giving, the Mishloach Manos, Ish On the other hand, Matanus Yonim, which we're not going to go into tonight, is, Matanus Yonim is referring to the miracle itself. The miracle itself is two separate things. There's, um, you know, the reward for the uh, Jews and the punishment for the Amalekites. So that's why it's Matanus to two separate Yonim. But Mishloach Manos, it's all being channeled towards the Jewish people by the giving to the Jews and the silencing of the opposition. The whole secret of Purim, according to the Kedushas Levi, the whole secret of Purim is that Hashem has in fact empowered us that we hold the key the entire time. person is sent into a room, locked into it, and given one hour to escape. There's a padlock on the door the padlock on the door, he's given one hour to escape. He checks everywhere in the room. It's just solid, bare walls. There's nothing. There's nothing there. And so, after 20 minutes, he sits down and does nothing. Then he starts to check through his pockets for something to entertain him. And there, someone had slipped a key into his pocket. What a fool he feels like. The last 20 minutes I've been sitting here with the key, and everyone's watching, of course, the key in my pocket. The Jewish people are sitting fasting for three days. The whole time they're worried for their lives. And the story of Purim is v'nahapachu. It's the op- We're never in danger. We are never in danger. It is within our power to simply reconnect to Hashem, to come before Hashem, and say, Hashem, this would be a good time for a key and Hashem hands us the key. All we have to do is ask. 
Uh, so asking requires, you know, some issues. You have to come. You have to hope the king sticks out his gold scepter for you. But now you can see why the story of Purim is Kimu Vakiblu Hayuhudim. That the Jewish people accepted the Torah, and we say they, they re-accepted the Torah, even though they might have had issues the first time. You know why? Because when the mountain was over their heads, they felt like they were accepting a burden. Right now I'm free. And as soon as I say yes, as soon as we, the Jewish people, say I do to Hashem, now we have 613 obligations woe upon us. By Purim we realized the whole time we missed it. We have the purpose of creation in our hands. We have everything. We tell God how to run the world. God runs the world according to our will. Hashem rearranges everything for our protection when we turn back to Him. That's, that's not a burden. What an incredible gift that Hashem has given to His best friend, Klal Yisrael. Mishloach Monos, Ish Hashem has to interact with the world. And so Matanus Levyonim, Hashem gives each person what they need to get, and so there's a reward and there's punishment. But above that is the Mishloach Manas Ishtarehu. We have Minhagim in Kal Yisrael. We have beautiful Minhagim, and Mishloach Manas is a mitzvah given to us. It's a mitzvah given to us by the Chachamim when they understood the miracle. You ever wonder? What does Mishloach Manos, what does sending gifts of food to each other, have anything to do with the miracle that they just experienced? Why is that the response? We read the Megillah. Okay, even dressing up is a little more um, um, obvious. Uh, pun almost intended. Uh, but Mishloach Manos says the Kedushas Levi, it's the Ish L'Reyehu, is Hashem and the Jewish people. Ish Hashem ish melchama, re'ehu, l'mana chai the Jewish people. Purim is coming in just uh, a week from now. Purim is not just a time to have fun. Although it is a time to have fun. Purim involves avoda. It involves a service. We should come out at the end of Purim more closely connected to Hashem. And the Kedushas Levi gives us that access. When you perform the, the mitzvah, what you're doing, when you're doing Mishloach Manas Ish the connection that you are making to that person by sharing with them by what's of yours is a representation of the recognition that this is the relationship that you have to Hashem. You fulfill His will and He will fulfill your will. When you make your will His will, He will make His will your will, as the Mishnah in Perkei teaches us, as we mentioned before. May we be Zoha that through the reading of the Megillah and the recognizing of how Hashem is involved in our lives, how He does things for us, how everything that we have, and recognizing that's not just us personally, but the entire creation, and by taking pride in the opportunities, in the gifts that Hashem has provided us, we will truly appreciate, and may we merit miracles just like the Purim story, as we know the Megillah will never cease and will never disappear from us, just like the connection between Hashem and Klal Yisrael will never end. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.